He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Question mark. For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit yet in his mouth. Deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And I'll stop there. You may be seated. And I want to speak tonight on the subject, the stigma, the stigma of being his child. The stigma of being his child. I did say that right because there is a stigma that is involved in being a child of the Lord. By stigma, stigma we mean a mark of disgrace or shame that's placed upon an individual. A stain or reproach upon one's reputation. That's what the word stigma means. A distinguishing mark or sign usually associated with a bad reputation. I uh, think that there is a part of Christianity that is not being explained too well today that's really causing a lot of complacency in the Christian ranks. Let me, uh, before I give an explanation, let me just back up and say, with all the current issues in the religious world today, I feel that Jesus would be just as unacceptable in the religious ranks today as he was when he walked on the face of the earth. While people may not pick up stones to kill him in this land, if he lived in another land where that was permissible, it possibly could happen. He could go back to the cross. Now, <clears throat> the thing, however, that I, I believe that. I really do believe that. But the thing that uh, bothers me is not whether Jesus would be crucified by the people of today as much as if I lived in the days of Jesus, how would the religious world accept me? Would I be stoned to death as Stephen? Would I be taken outside of a city and left for dead as the Apostle Paul? See, when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, he forewarned all the people that followed him that they would indeed be hated for his namesake. I mean, he forewarned them. I think that what we're trying our best to do, you know, we have, and I guess this is just great that, that we're just here tonight and we don't have a house full of outsiders. Uh, I believe that occasionally it is only right that the pastor talk to people in his congregation or in the congregation that he pastors. 
I, I believe that. I, uh, I believe that as far as Pentecostals are concerned, that we have fought so hard for prominence in our society. And in achieving that prominence, we have tried our best to make the world feel that we are just like everybody else. And the truth of the matter is, that is contrary to the Scripture. You are not like everybody else. And the Bible even tells us that we should beware when all men speak well of us. The Bible says that every man that shall live godly in this present world shall suffer the persecutions of the flesh. And we're raising our young people, trying our best to make our young people feel that you're just like everybody else, son. Don't feel badly over the fact that you go to a Pentecostal church. Now, I don't think anyone should be made to feel inferior because they go to a Pentecostal church or because that they are disciples of the Lord. But I think the, the problem is that we err in making them feel that if they are a fine Pentecostal, that they will be accepted in the world just like everybody else. Then what happens when they go out into the real world after graduation from school, a lot of them are just swallowed up by the world because they fight so hard to be accepted. Now let me just tell you something. I have, I have been in and around the Pentecostal church all my life. I sometimes wish I had more experience and I know that more experience would put me closer to the grave. I know that. I have no fear of the grave. I believe the teaching of the Scripture is like this, that if we die, it is gain. And I would seek only for additional experience so that I could help some of you even more than what I'm able to help you. And I know that when I pass from this life that I will indeed go to a better place. But let me tell you something about <clears throat> some of our forefathers. When you attended Pentecostal churches years ago, you never sat through a service in which preachers did not preach separation from the world. And they preach separation from the world, making it very clear to all the hearers that you are indeed different. You're not like everybody else. I think the most recent trend of worldliness that's crept into the church has crept into the church because people along with pastors have sought for prominence in other words, let's remove the stigma of being his disciple. And in doing so, they have become too much caught up in the philosophy that I can be like everybody else and be a Christian. That is not the teaching of the Scripture. Let me read the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 4.13. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. In other words, that's basically what he said uh, <clears throat> about the idea that people had about him. He also testifies about this in Acts 22. Verse 22, and they gave him audience unto his word, this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, All way with, away, pardon me, with such a fellow from the earth, for it, for it is not fit that he should live. 
In other words, when Paul begins to testify, they begin to cry out, and they begin to say, away with this man. Now, let, let me back up. Paul is testifying about Stephen. And that's what they were saying about, away with this man. Uh, it's not fit that he should live on the face of the earth. We'll do away with him. We'll just get rid of him. So there is a mark that does distinguish us from everybody else in the world. You know, we don't baptize like the other people of the Christian community. You know that? We baptize in Jesus' name. No. Uh, we don't worship like most people in a Christian community. Well, what church would you go to in a city tonight where people would be jumping up and down like people have been here tonight? <clears throat> you just think about that. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel inferior or indifferent. I'm trying to let you know that you are different. And you're different by divine purpose. You see, we are His children. I say we are His children. Speaking of stigma, you know, I notice children, the way they, uh, the way they treat uh, other children and have, a, have something about them that's a little indifferent. You know, I, uh, I have been guilty of that. I tell parents who come crying to me about their, their, their child. My child's been uh, abused in the school. We hear even in our Christian school, some parents have cried on my shoulder and said, why does everybody pick on my boy? Why does everybody pick on... Children are cruel to each other. You know that? They are just simply cruel to each other. Uh, one little child with some little blemish, even though it might be physical, they, they'll pick on... You know, that's, that's just the way children are. I remember when I grew up, I, we had a family in our community, and, and uh, <clears throat> I don't know uh, if they just couldn't afford it. I know they didn't have a lot of money. But uh, I think the mother cut, cut all the boys' hair, and uh, they, uh, it looked like she set a bowl on their head and just, just cut around. Uh, I happen to know these people quite well, uh, they lived down close to my, my uh, grandmother. But I remember one time in, in Henderson, 20 miles away, one of the boys was walking the street. And somebody said, that must be one of the thrash boys. And, of course, as kids, we call them trashy thrashes. You know, it's crazy, but that's what we did. But uh, now their haircut would have been very uh, appropriate now. You know. But, uh, I mean, it just... just you know, just white wall around. And someone said, now I don't know, so well, their mother just puts a bowl on her head and just cuts up to the bowl. I don't know that to be a fact, but we call them bowl heads, and all. we just did everything. You know, we called it to their face. Some were big, strong boys, and they probably would have beat my brains out, but they couldn't catch me. <clears throat> you know, that's just the way, that's, and we just kept on, and we kept on, and we kept on, and we kept on. And we would just tease and tease and tease and tease and tease. Uh, children grow up in our society, especially here in America, wanting to be like everybody else. And especially when they enter into adolescence, they, they really do give thought to acceptance. I want to be like everybody else. I don't want to do anything, say anything. That's different from what everybody else is doing and saying. I remember uh, <clears throat> as a kid attending uh, Gaston schools. That's just out of Henderson. Uh, we had a little financial problem in our family, and we didn't have much lunch money. So our lunches back then, I think they cost a quarter. Okay, you give a quarter, and you just got this big lunch. But we didn't have a quarter. So my mother informed me that I was to go in, because they, they had a little program in, in, the, in the, the dining hall. My mother informed me that I was to go in the lunch 
room, uh, we call it the lunchroom, and go into the kitchen and talk with a lady by the name of Ford who was in charge. And she said, you go in there and tell her that you want to wash dishes for your food. I cried. I cried all night long. I said, I cannot do that. Because if I go in and wash dishes for my food, I mean, what in the world is everyone going to think, you know, about me? They'll know we don't have much money. I, I don't want them to know that I don't have enough money. Besides that, we had a few families that all their kids that went to school was always in the lunchroom. They were the poor people of our community, and everybody knew they were poor. And uh, I just didn't want to be in there with those Ellis boys, some Ellis boys, and I didn't want to be in there. And uh, I just, I went without lunch for a while. And uh, I didn't get any lunch money. My mother thought I was washing dishes. See, what you had to do, you had to stand behind this little window, and when all the kids brought their trays up there, you took the trays. And you cleaned off all the trays. While the kids that had money, they'd go away, and they'd go over and purchase a popsicle or something, walk outside the cafeteria, and here you're left in this steamy old dishwashing room. Well, I went without lunch for a while, my mother asked me if I was washing dishes, and I told her I was. I, I lied to her. She found out later that I had been lying, that I hadn't been eating. I'd rather not even eat than to, than to wash dishes because of the stigma attached to this. But she called the school, and they called me in, and they offered me this dishwashing job. I thought this was the worst trial that I'd ever be faced with in life. <clears throat> and it wasn't the work. You know, that, that wasn't it at all. It's, it's the fact that everybody knew that you didn't have any money. Everybody knew that your people were poor people. So, <clears throat> I'm supposed to wash dishes, and I did. And I remember very clearly when uh, I got up behind the window and here comes a couple of boys up and they look at me. They say, Grant, what are you doing in there? So, oh, they're just kind of short on help today. And <clears throat> I decided that I would loan them my expertise. <clears throat> Well, what do you say? And then all of a sudden, three lovely girls that always ran together that kind of liked me and I kind of liked them, that I had bought Christmas gifts for, for and such. Here they bring their trays up to the window. And when they get up there, and you're supposed to reach out and take these trays, you know what I did? I bent over. There was a and there's a trash can down, and I worked around the trash can until they put their trays in that window and left. I didn't want them to see me. I don't know if Sister Rutherford ever worked in the, in the kitchen there or not. I don't think she did. I think I was doing that for both of us. <laughs> no, just joking. But uh, I, I do know the feeling involved in that. I just... I said, oh, God, I, I, I just seemed to, to have died. I did not want to eat. I just, I just didn't. I will say, though, that, you know, some of those things that you think uh, will uh, greatly affect uh, your personality is, is really good for you. You know, really. There, I have some ideas of, about uh, psychology there, there are certain things that have been taught that I just diametrically oppose because I personally do not feel according to Scripture. 
that uh, it's that hurtful. I give give you one example. You know, I believe, contrary to what the psychologist tells you, that one of the healthiest things for you in life is to suffer wrongfully for something you did not do. I believe that. Now, psychologists will tell you that don't ever punish your child for something he did not do. You're better off to make a thorough investigation. It may take you 20 years, but you're better off to do this. And, and let me just say this to any any child or any teenager or anyone here that's that, that has had a problem with this. It does not hurt you to be chastised for something you did not do. Because you're going to find out later in life that when you get out there and you really mix it up with the world and you do that in, in, in the, the marketplace, the job place, you do that when you park your car downtown. You do that when you park your car in a big parking lot. You do that when you go into the shopping malls. You will be accused all of your life of things that you did not do. That's the real world. Why? Because for the most part, when people are caught doing something wrong, they pass the buck on to somebody else. It's not, I, I had nothing to do with this. It's not my, not my fault. You follow what I'm saying? I believe that that is extremely important. Another thing that I feel, now this has no bearing at all on my message. The first point did. You know, I think it's good for children to go to funerals, even if it causes them nightmares. Why? Because death is the most natural thing on this planet Earth. I remember going to funerals when I was a child. And I had nightmares about it. I couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep for nights. But i tell you what I did. I prayed a lot about dying. And I grew up with a real healthy respect for God in life. And a real fear for my Maker. Now you may disagree with that. But death is just as natural as anything in this building. You know everybody here is going to die one of these days. Most of you will not live to be as old as Sister Luke. You'll never see your 100th birthday. Why? Because life expectancy for the ladies, it's up around 77, 78. For the men who work hard, carry the most pressure, such in life, it's a lot lower, understandably. <clears throat> We sure do take care of our women, don't we? We just really do a great job, these men folks. <clears throat> you know I don't really believe that, don't you? <clears throat> I am just saying that. It is much higher for ladies than it is for men. I'm not really for sure of why. I, <laughs> I had better stop. I almost said when I'm ahead, but I don't think I'm ahead. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> Lord bless all of you fine Christian ladies. I really mean that. And I will say this. I don't know of any place on this planet Earth you could find more lovely Christian ladies than right here in this place. Here tonight. really mean that. Husbands, look at your wives and say, I love you. You're wonderful. Sister Grant, you're wonderful. I love you. <clears throat> I'd rather make up now. <laughs> I have to face this later.
But you know, one thing that, that when, I, when I look back, you know, you try to find something positive in everything that you do. I look back at this lunchroom experience and such, and I remember later on, I did a lot of things when I was growing up. I tackled a lot of hard jobs and such that a lot of guys would not tackle. When I got in high school, I was one of the few uh, men, I say men, they should be boys, one of the few boys in high school that always had a pocket full of money. I loaned money to my friends. I always had money because I was always working. Well, they didn't want to work. They didn't want to do this. It's too hard to haul hay. And I hauled a lot of hay, worked on a ranch, cleaned out a lot of flower gardens. Man, we had one of the crabbiest ladies in East Texas. I cleaned a flower garden out for her. Nobody could, nobody, absolutely nobody could please her. Could I please her? Well, I don't think so, but I didn't argue with her. I thought as long as she's paying me, I'll just work. You know, she was just, she, she was obsessed with irises. And she had, she had more irises. You cannot believe. And her whole yard, I'm serious with you. And she just, she knew each one. And I, I dug and dug and dug and pulled and pulled and pulled. Let me tell you something. Don't cut one down. She knew each blade by name. I mean, I mean this lady, you know, she was kind of an eccentric lady. I, <laughs> but, but she paid well. And I was told by her son that happened to be my seventh grade school teacher, he said, if you can work for mom, you can work for anybody. Now, there was a sense of pride in knowing you could work for anybody. He said, how can you do that? I said, I know how to keep my mouth shut. But how can you do that? Because when I was at home and mom says, shut up, shut up always meant, you guessed it, shut up. <laughs> no exception. <clears throat> you know, when you look at when you look at what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah fifty three, when he says, "Who shall declare his generation?" the the obvious conclusion that that this man was drawing when he was writing this scripture is that there's really nobody to declare his generation because he never got married, never had any children, and that was a big question. Now, who's going to declare his generation? You look in the Old Testament, you see such emphasis placed upon bearing children keeping the family traits, culture, name alive. But here's Jesus Christ. Who's going to do this? <clears throat> well, obviously, <clears throat> the question mark was in the book of Isaiah because it appeared as if nobody was going to do it because he never had any children. And, you know, when I, when I look in, in the Scripture concerning Jesus Christ, when Jesus came into the world, Brother Rutherford preached a message on this about a year and a half ago, and I, I will never forget his message. It, it, it had such a, a profound effect on me. But uh, <clears throat> there's one point that he brought out about Joseph and about Mary, and, and I'd like to just turn to Matthew 1, verse 20. And this has to do with the conception uh, and birth of Jesus Christ. <coughs> uh, we know that at this time that Mary was his spouse to Joseph. In other words, she was engaged to Joseph. Verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Unto thee marry thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now you notice what the angel said. Don't be afraid to do what you normally would be afraid to do. Why? Because he knew that if all of a sudden he marries this lady who is with child, there's going to be a horrible stigma attached to him. You think of what people are going to say. Now keep in mind, this was not a common thing 
at this time. And you think of the stigma. In other words, <clears throat> his life would be blemished forever. But the angel said, don't be afraid. In other words, if it's God's idea, don't be afraid of it. If that's what the Holy Ghost wants, it's got to be a good idea. So, <clears throat> from the very beginning of the life of Jesus, from conception to his early years, there, there seemed to be this following stigma. Uh, in, in the book of Mark, the, the sixth chapter, let's turn there and we'll take, we'll take a look at this. Mark, the sixth chapter. Verse 3, the Bible says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now see, the, the thing about it is, in other words, the question had come up. This is talking about Jesus and in. He, he again goes to Nazareth, his hometown. At this time, people were declaring him to be the Messiah. They were declaring him to be the Redeemer of Israel. They were declaring him to be a prophet. And when he went back to his hometown, some people recognized him. Isn't he the little boy that used to live in the house down on the corner? Let's see, his father's name was Joseph and Mary. Oh, yeah, and there's a little story about that, too, you know. Seems to me like that this woman was pregnant when she married this man. I mean, what's wrong with being a carpenter? But you see, <clears throat> it wasn't that. It was a stigma that was following him. Sometimes those things can be attached to people and you don't really know why. Every now and then, I, I will just raise a question about someone that you hear a lot about in the media, that there's a stigma. I say, what's wrong? And people can't, they, they can't, I don't know what's wrong, but it just seems like for a long time, nobody's like this person. Don't really know. Maybe something years ago caused society to start picking on this person. When Dan Quayle was vice president, there was a stigma that was attached to him because of a few little, should I say, goofy mistakes that he made. At least that's what the media said. And it's a known fact that he got some dates mixed up and, and some historical facts incorrect. But what president or vice president doesn't? But you see, Dan Quayle was one of the few that when he was questioned about what would you do if the president, if his life was taken, what would be the first thing you'd do as president of the United States of America? And you know what he said? He says, I would go to God in sincere prayer. You know what? The media picked up on that and said, oh, he's, he, he, he doesn't have a, a good handle on what he would do. In other words, he's pushed the panic button. He'll run into the prayer room and ask God, to show him what to do. I would to God that more of those men would do that. But because that he took the office of the president and he attached prayer, then all of a sudden there was a stigma. And I remember very well when throughout the papers and, and, and talk shows and such, people were constantly saying, Oh, he doesn't know what he would do. We certainly hope that, that uh, oh, that, that President Bush never passes away because we've got a man here that doesn't have the foggiest idea what he's going to do. He says he'd run in the prayer room and pray. And then every mistake he'd make, the media would pick up on it. No, I'm not saying that I think that Dan Quayle should be the president. Now, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not, that has nothing to do with it. But I'm saying that this is the general reaction of people when they associate things of one system with things of another. We've got too much of this separation of church and state, you know. 
that idea is just floating around. Uh, and, and people go, oh, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do this. And like I preached this morning there, I know the cure for AIDS, and it wouldn't cost the U.S. government anything. I know the cure. I know the formula. A good shot of the Holy Ghost in the hearts of people that would keep them out of everybody else's bed. And that wouldn't cost anybody a dime. And besides that, you'd be happier. <clears throat> now, you didn't know that I knew the cure for AIDS, did you? <clears throat> but you see, there's nobody that seems to be brave enough. If Bill Clinton rose up and made that statement from the White House lawn, there would be a stigma attached to him. I'm serious with you. People would laugh in this scorn. You see what's happening more and more and more in our world, and you better brace yourself for it. That if you want to live godly in this present life, there's going to be more of a stigma attached to you than ever before. People are going to be calling you the off-scouring of the earth. I believe that I know what I'm talking about. Jesus, however, had this to say in Matthew 11, verse 6. <clears throat> and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now I can't say that this has always been the case. But if I know my heart, I can stand behind this pulpit and tell you this. I have lived long enough to see the day in which I accept God's will as my way of life. By that I mean, if God is happy with it, it tickles me to death. You know, there are certain people that are always apologizing for some of us fanatics. I hear that all the time. I have heard certain people apologize for people who were just sold out for Jesus. So, oh, that's all they know how to talk about. It's the Bible. So... Well, they don't do anything but just go to church and worship. They don't have any hobbies or anything. They just pray and seek the Lord, go to church and worship. I don't think there's anything wrong with having hobbies. But I will say this. I would not want to sit in a judgment seat and complain against someone who didn't have hobbies simply because that they wanted to spend more time with God. You have to be very careful about some things. I know there's such a thing as a, as burnout. And people have to deal with burnout. But most burnout is not really burnout. It's choke out. It's brown out. It's because the cares of this life choke the life out of a lot of people. You've heard me say this. I talk to people all the time and say, oh, we just need to get away. Man, we've been working so hard. I still can't understand why, if you've been working so hard and you want to get away, why don't you go when you're working instead of on Sunday? I mean, if it's work you're trying to get away, why don't you go on Monday or Tuesday? Oh, I can't miss the work because I need the money. Well, if you will subject yourself then to that kind of torment or torture, why can't you discipline yourself to be in the house of God? <clears throat> so blessed is a man who's not offended in me. I really think we need more people sold out for Jesus. I really mean this. I think we'd see a lot more people converted. 
I think if people saw our sincerity and our genuineness, our concern for the lost, if I lived in the days of Jesus, would they seek to kill me? If I was an apostle walking with Paul, would they have stoned me? If I'd have been preaching when Stephen was preaching, would they have killed me? Or would they have just let me go by saying, now here's a guy that's got a good head on his shoulders. He's got sense. Now this other guy over here, he's a little loony. Because a lot of Christians that I know of, why? They don't stir up enough dust for someone to sneeze. They're just too happy being nothing. Don't pray much. Don't seek God much. Don't worship much. Now, I, I want to set the record straight. I do not believe that all worship is comprised of dancing in the spirit of jumping. And I believe that anybody that feels that every time they worship, they have to do that, has a distorted scriptural view of worship. Now, please understand that is a valid form of worship. See, worship <clears throat> is making love to God. Now, Sister Grant, come right here, would you? See, <clears throat> there are times in which I approach my wife very gently. What if every time I wanted to express appreciation to Sister Grant, I came up and said, I love you, I love you, I love you! Dear God of heaven, I love you! You're the sweetest thing that's ever happened to me! Praise God! Hallelujah! I love you, I love you! She'd say, I really believe he loves me. <laughs> now, listen to me carefully, all right? The most beautiful thing about the Holy Ghost is that we accept this loving relationship according to the atmosphere that has been set up by the Holy Ghost. Sometimes it's candlelight dining at the master's table in which we simply say, I love you, Jesus. There are other times in which blessings come like gifts in which we do jump up and down. I love you, God. I worship you, God. I praise you. There are other times in which we express love and yet there's such an atmosphere that we do nothing but bow in His presence. I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. I'm not scolding anybody that jumps. Okay? I'm not even trying to correct anybody that jumps. Okay? I'm not scolding anybody that runs, and I'm not trying to correct anybody that runs. But on the other hand, some of you who do nothing, I want to talk with you. Because I feel that almost any form of worship is better than nothing. And it wouldn't hurt some of you to get a little fire in your bones. <clears throat> Hello? <clears throat> Hello? <clears throat> Are you there? You follow what I'm saying? In other words, when the Holy Ghost moves, are you willing to move with the Holy Ghost? See, blessed is He Whosoever shall not be offended in me. If God speaks to me, and God moves upon me, and God thrusts His Holy Spirit through me and causes me to run and leap, and my friend, 
If you've had a miracle in your life, like the man by the gate called beautiful, you'll leap in the temple also. And if somebody's leaping in the temple, I don't think anybody ought to bow their head in shame. And nobody should be embarrassed about it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. On the other hand, if the Holy Spirit has us dining at a beautiful banquet table, and we're simply reaching out in sincere appreciation, I love you, Jesus. Let's also accept that as a valid form of worship. I love you, God. I love you, God. I don't mind telling you, quite frankly, I, I, uh, I am moved more by God in a very still, slow way of worship. There are times in which I can pray for hours and if you didn't know that I was praying because I told you and there are times when I don't want nobody would know that I was praying because it, to me my most profitable moments are when I'm just talking to God Jesus lived here. And those apostles followed after him. It was not easy on those people. One of those apostles. It wasn't easy for them. Because there were always people that slipped around and said, now we want to talk to you, Peter. This man that you're traveling after. Now there's just something about him, you know, he, is, he doesn't have the best reputation. You know that? And some of you young people are acquainted with that very same thing. When you go to your place of work, if you're in public school, people come around and say, you say you go to a Pentecostal church? What is that? Anybody ever said that to you? What is that anyway? Well, that's the kind of church, you know, where, well, we we really believe in worshiping God. Well, what do you do when you worship God? Well, we sing and clap our hands and sometimes we dance. See, people who do not understand that, reading the Scripture, you know, you know <clears throat> recently, uh, some of the churches wanting to, wanting to have a contemporary type service, they've taught their people how to dance. Choreographic dancing. You know, like you'd see years ago on the Lawrence Welk show. <clears throat> I'm serious. Where you got a whole bunch of people there like this and like this and... <laughs> I'm serious. So the choreography has to be just right. They've taught people that. Because they read in the Bible where it says dancing. They don't understand what real worship and dancing in the Spirit's all about. Now, I know that some churches, every now and then you'll see somebody get a partner. Truthful, I've kind of frowned on that. I don't mind telling you. The only reason why I frown on that, because most people who get involved in that, they leave Jesus Christ someplace in the corner. And they get more excited about going around and around with their partner. If you're going to dance, get a hold of Jesus and dance with him. Let him be your partner. I'm just going to say that to set the record straight. Okay. Now, I'm not going to condemn anyone that occasionally runs by, grabs somebody by the hand, 
and both of them run together or both of them jump up and down. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about this habitual thing every now and then saying, well, I want to dance with you. Let's let our worship be to God. You may say, that offends you. No, it doesn't, Brother Grant. It doesn't offend me. It just ticks me off and makes me mad. <clears throat> Every now and then I've been accused of getting mad. Somebody not long ago said, you are mad. I said, you better believe I'm mad. I don't deny it. You fool with me much longer, I'll throw you out in a snowbank. I had to apologize, you know, because I really wasn't going to do that. <clears throat> I don't think. <clears throat> I certainly wished I was more saintly. Have you ever wished that about me? Have you? <laughs> I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. <clears throat> you followed Jesus. That stigma was there. This is the reason why that Jesus forewarned Peter. He said, before the cock crows, you will deny me thrice. And you know what the situation was? The situation was in Matthew 26. I'm just going to turn there and read this to you. Matthew 26, verse 3, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Is that what he said? Hmm. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to offend me because of Jesus. I will never be ashamed of him. Boy, I'm going to tell you something. When the Apostle Paul made this statement twice in, his, in the epistles, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. My friend, he said a mouthful when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But he lived his life unashamedly. He was accused as being the off-scouring the earth. We don't need him here. We'll crucify him. We'll do anything we can. We'll leave him outside the city. Yet he'd get right back up and with a burdened heart and kept his attitude right. Can you believe that? Because most people, when people tick them off or whatever, they get their attitudes a little bit crossed up as a result. Not Paul. He had a burden, a driving compassion to win the loss to the Lord. Peter says, I will never be offended. This is, this is a case settled. No issue to it. And Jesus said, now hold it just a minute. Don't say that. The, the reason why, that, see, Peter didn't know what was ahead. Jesus did. In the moment you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Would I die for Christ? I can't say whether I would or not. I hope I would. I hope that I'll always preach the truth, no matter what. I hope that. But I know that if I do, it'll take God's grace sustaining me. Now, <clears throat> what I want to do, though, is turn this around in the closing moments of this message. See, the stigma of being his child, <clears throat> there's, there's also a blessing in being his child. The stigma only affects you when you get your eyes on the, what everybody says about you. You know, what everybody else is thinking. This is the reason why that it doesn't pay to get in the vein of the world. I could call any one of you up to this pulpit and tell you what people are thinking about you and when you left here you'd feel mighty small about yourself. As a Christian. But does it matter what people think? 
Is that the aspect of our walk with God that we're going to keep our mind on? No. The Bible says when Paul started preaching the gospel that the Lord told him that he would deliver him from the fear of the people. That is, Paul was going to be delivered from this this mindset of always thinking about what people thought of him. I'll tell you what, if there's anyone here without the Holy Ghost, you probably would have already received the Holy Ghost if you weren't thinking of what relatives and friends were thinking about you. When I first came to the Lord, that was a big, that was a monumental hurdle. When I sat back in the back of the church and listened to the preacher preach, and God dealt with my heart, it was constant in my mind, what are people thinking? You see, I heard scriptures quoted like this. Oh yes, we're born from above, we're different. I heard those things. We're pilgrims and strangers, according to Hebrews eleven thirteen. You know, like aliens from some other world. We are peculiar people, 1 Peter 2, 9. That was spoken of here tonight behind this pulpit. We're ambassadors of Christ. You know, I heard all these things, and, and I took the negative stance, like, oh, everybody's looking at me. But you see, in a more positive approach, when I got to looking at this, yes, I am different. I really am. We are peculiar people. We are ambassadors. We do represent another nation. See? The Bible also tells us, when it tells us we're ambassadors of Christ, in Ephesians 6, the Bible tells us that we are a stumbling stone and a rock of offense to a lot of people. Do you know that if you live the way you need to live for Jesus, that a lot of people will just simply not like it because of what you represent. See? And there won't be any stigma attached to you at all if you weren't trying to convert the world. But the very fact that you're trying to convert the world, the very fact that you represent a cause, a cause that's much greater than any cause on the face of this earth. But let me tell you something. In the closing moments of the history of the planet Earth, and I believe this with all my heart, I believe the tribulation period is just around the corner. You know, <clears throat> perhaps you, you heard about this. This past week, there was an earthquake in Milwaukee. It only registered 1.2 on the Richter scale. But Milwaukee doesn't have earthquakes. They did have one. Earthquakes in diverse places. You know what a lot of people in California are now saying? When will the end come? When will we have the, the granddaddy of all earthquakes? But did you know my Bible tells me that there will be a time during the tribulation period, in which every mountain and island shall be moved out of its place. And I'll tell you, because of sin and iniquity in the planet Earth, when God burns this Earth, the elements, the Bible, Peter says, will burn with fervent heat. God, just with one swipe of His hand, can renovate the planet Earth. The earth will momentarily lose its path and fly out of its orbit like a cinder from a flame. That's what the Bible says. And it will be made new. Just like God spoke the, the word and it came into existence. You see, the thing about it is, my friend, that, that we're just not disciples of some ordinary man. We're not disciples of some prophet. We're not disciples of some orator that walked on the face of the planet earth and did good things for mankind. 
We are children of Almighty God. Born from above. Our citizenship is not in this world, but it's in another world. My friend, we represent a power that's greater than all the forces of hell. We are the church of the living God. We are distinctively different. We baptize in His name. We heal the sick in His name. We pray in His name. We are different. We're not the same. I say we're not the same. We're not the same. We're not the same. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I don't want to be like everybody else on this planet earth. I don't want to be like every so-called Christian on this planet earth. I want to be dead right according to Scripture. If God be for us, who can be against us? I say, if God be for us, who can be against us? Oh, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost here in this place. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Would you do that? Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God. My Lord and my Savior. Oh, God. Oh, Oh, hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet. Would you do that right now? Oh, God. I'll tell you what, we're on the winning team. I said we're on the winning team. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're not going where everybody else is going. Because we're not serving the same God that everybody else is serving. We're going up. I say we're going up. I say we're going up. I say we're going up. (laughs) And who shall declare his generation? Look at all of his children right here. The prophet was saying, Now how how could he ever have children when he wasn't married? Turn around and look at all the children. <laughs> this is a miracle. How could a man that's never been married have this many kids? <laughs> because you see, the prophet did not see that you could be born from above. He only saw what was apparent from the eyes of man on this planet Earth. Yield to the Lord now, brothers and sisters. God's talking to us.
if God has given you the interpretation of this, why don't you just without fear give this? God's talking right now. God. Now the Lord has spoken to us. We need to respond now. What you have to understand, the stigma that's attached to Christians comes from the evil one. It's his way of intimidating you. That's nothing really to do with what you stand for, what you believe, as much as the devil wanting to place that upon you. You just need to come out from underneath that and boldly declare your stance with God. Come on right now. If there's anyone here without the Holy Ghost and you need the Holy Ghost, step out right now and come and give your heart to God. Come on right now. Oh, what a great move of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. What a great move of the Holy Ghost.